Hi, and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to just jump right in. You ready? Here we go. Father, thank you that we ask your Holy Spirit to be with us in a tangible way, and you answered our prayer. We thank you for the privilege already we've had this morning to sense your presence amongst us. I thank you for the work you've already begun or continued or are finishing in people's hearts even now as I pray. And I pray that as we come around your word and look at the things, uh, the way you do life and the, the truth that you speak, I pray that people would be transformed. I pray for every person in front of me now that they would be blessed by your word this morning, that we would walk out even more transformed and loving you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Cool thing. It's not part of my message, but I, 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 um, I'm learning a lot being a dad. And the other night, we had a cool morning. The afternoon was a bit rough with the boy, and, and he was cracking up a bit, and Min was sick as well, had an upset tummy, and trying to feed him for his last sleep and put him to bed. And he sort of had half a feed and was a bit kicking around and throwing his knees around. and oh. So I sort of took him off Min while Min could lie down for a bit. And it was incredible. I perched him on my left arm like this, like I often do. I put my other arm on his back and tucked his head into my neck. And with his dummy in his mouth, he began to just go, oh, like he is now, actually. And as he did that, I said, really? He goes, oh, that's fascinating. What else do you want to tell me? It's like, wow. What else would you like? Really? That's incredible. And for about five minutes, we just sat there, and my boy just nuzzled into my neck, real comfortably, and he just chatted to me the way only he knows how. I had no idea what he was saying, but I loved it. And it's funny, the, the biggest thing that happens for me being a dad is he makes me wonder. When it comes, because I sat there thinking, I love just sitting, I love seeing Elijah grow. I'm looking forward to seeing what God brings into his life and the man he becomes. I love going out with him, Melinda, and seeing people and all that kind of stuff. I love doing lots of things. I love him being part of our lives. But equally, I love those moments where I just sit on my bed. And I tuck his head into my neck. And he goes, oh. And I thought, I wonder sometimes, I wonder, if amongst all that we do and the mission God gave us and in pursuing to do what God called us to do, I wonder sometimes if the same way I enjoy my son, if he enjoys sometimes we just come away for five minutes. And without doing anything, we don't even necessarily have to say anything that makes sense. But we just tuck ourselves in with our father and talk to him and let him love us. And let him hold us. And I wonder if the same way he made my day, we make his. There's no end to discover. I don't know. I just wonder. I'm not saying there's a scripture for that. I'm, I just wonder sometimes. There's no end to discovering the love that God has for his children. And sometimes it's the simplicity of that love that has the most profound effect in our lives. So I encourage you, pursue to understand the love God has for you. Because that's the purpose of being alive, really, when it comes down to it. Anyway, is anyone here who gets seasick? Is anyone here who gets so bad seasick that if I stand here and go, the boat goes up and down, you kind of stop. <laughs> Sorry, if you like that, I apologize. I'm not trying to make you spew. Seasickness, you kind of go up, you kind of go down. Anyone enjoyed the old school seesaws, you know, made of pure metal? They just had a couple of handles, you'd sit on them. And as a kid, you'd go down and then you try to sort of jump. So the other person goes onto the ground. Children are mean, I've discovered. Some kids, they don't even think about how much that's going to hurt you. 
They just think, you know, if I actually really put all the pressure down here, I might launch him off his seat. Wouldn't that be amazing? Never mind, he might fall forward, crack his head on the... Like, you don't even think about that. So I got to do, mm, and make him jump. Seesaws going up and down. Trampolines are another one. Anyone who likes getting on trampolines, like, if I bounce right, this other person's going to launch. Like, if I just... If I place my weight correctly in the right way, I'm going to launch this sucker in. in the, you ever done that? I still do that, so I'm mean as well. We don't think about maybe they'll land on the bar and lose their balance and hurt themselves. We just think, I want to bounce them up. And then I want to go as high as possible. We go up and we go down. Seesaws, trampolines. I actually, I remember learned to ride a motorbike um, from my best mate and eventually got my own bike and we went riding up into some four-wheel drive fire access roads and it had just been graded, the, all the roads. So you go up and this incredible, and there's contours all the way up. And then you're coming down the hill, you go down, there's a little contour like this, go down like this. So of course my mate and I being 16, I thought, you know what? If as I'm coming down, I accelerate a little bit over the contour, I might just throw him up off the seat and come back down. And we did. And one time I launched him like a meter off the seat and he landed again. It was incredible. But I didn't stop to think maybe that's not a good idea. But we do these things and life has its ups and down like seesaws. And often our beliefs are like that. They, we either go up or we go down. Or another way of putting it, sometimes we like our beliefs on a pendulum. We're either on this side or we swing really far to this side. For example, are you conservative or are you liberal? We have a pendulum. You're either really, really conservative or you're really, really liberal. We have this pendulum in our beliefs. Maybe in parenting, do you smack your children or do you say no to smacking? You're on a pendulum. Oh, I, I believe in smacking my children. Oh, I don't. I'm on this side. And you're bad. No, you're bad. No, you're bad. Like we have this pendulum about our beliefs. We swing from one side to the other. Another good pendulum one is either you're a coffee drinker, this side, or you're a heathen, over here. <laughs> it's true. Eventually, I have this hope that everyone will be converted to the... You're on the dark side at the moment, but you will see the light with coffee. Everyone who comes into my house and I say, you like a coffee? Sorry, I don't drink it. That'll change. Just keep coming. No, I'm kidding. Coffee or anyway, we won't go there. But there are times where our beliefs are on a pendulum. And sometimes, don't get me wrong, I think it's absolutely necessary to have absolutes. For example, there's no way to the Father except through Jesus. That's not on a pendulum. That's just the truth. You cannot come to the Father except through Jesus. That's an absolute. And we could spend all day talking about other absolutes we have, or we could argue if we wanted to, have a good discussion about what do you believe, what do I believe, and look at the pendulums that we sit on. But I'd like to look this morning... At a few pendulums we have that I don't think God's actually on. Actually, I just want to look at one in particular. But, for example, in the Bible, sometimes we take two good things and we can put them on a pendulum when it's not necessary. For example, you're either a really creative person. But, you know, if you're really creative, you're kind of scatterbrained, you have no order in your life. That's the assumption a lot of the time. That's not true. I'm just saying sometimes that's the assumption. And then if you're really orderly... Jeez, good luck getting creativity out of them. They're as tight as a... It, like, you know what I mean? It's like you're either really admin and in order and don't interrupt my system or you're really creative. But if I look at Genesis, when God thought creatively of what he's making, everything he created had an order. God didn't divorce creativity from order. In fact, if you do, you lose the power of each. See, if creativity is divorced from order, it doesn't fulfill its full potential. It doesn't have longevity. But if you divorce creativity from order, order becomes rigidity and religion. And instead of being a servant to people, it controls people. 
But if you put order and creativity together, you have limitless potential. And we see incredible things happen through people and what God does. God's not on the pendulum. Another one is this. We have, are you a ritual person? You believe in rituals and traditions? Or no, it's just about the passion of people. It's not about, you just reject tradition and ritual. That's all of the devil and you've got to be just spontaneous. But I'd like to suggest maybe God's not on that pendulum either. Because sometimes when you have certain rituals or traditions in your life, they enable your passion to be focused and to mature. But if you don't have that ritual, sometimes passion gets frustrated because it doesn't have any outlets. But then if you have... What did I just say then? That's ritual over here. <laughs> if you have tradition without passion... So if you excuse that you said, not about passion, it's about just sticking to my ritual. If you don't have passion in your rituals... Rituals become the way you prove yourself. Instead of providing a platform for your passion to display itself and bless people. You need both. God's not on the pendulum. So I could go on for ages, like I said, about different pendulums we might have. But I want to look at one this morning. This one's kind of subtle. It's a little bit less obvious. But I'm not, I'm not making a general statement saying everybody and this church. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm saying sometimes these pendulums can exist and we don't even know it. I've been guilty of pendulums. And I still am learning different ones I've had. But we have this pendulum. You could call it, you're either on the moments side. I'm all in for moments and encounters with God. Or I'm on this side. No, it's about your commitment and your discipleship. Classically, it's said like this. You know, if you, you can know the Bible back to front and you can be disciplined and go to a connect group and all that. But if, if you don't have the encounters, and if you don't have those moments, that's all useless. Because it's here that real life is. Or alternatively, we say you can have all these encounters and stuff like that, but if you don't have commitment and if you don't have discipleship, what's the point? You'll probably go off and become a weird church. You know, like those Pentecostals. What's the point? Like we have this pendulum. It's, it's either or. It's either moments or it's commitments. I'd like to suggest God's not on the pendulum. In fact, he never, the reason he's not on the pendulum is because he created the two together. There's power in both. There's power in the moments. But if you don't have power with your commitments, they become useless and you become a slave to them rather than them being a servant to your growth. God's not on the, God's not on the pendulum. But I believe in both. See, I think of experiences, and if I reflect on my own life, if there weren't certain encounters I had with God... I wouldn't be standing here speaking to you. Encounters are absolutely 100% necessary. I remember when I was 16, I might have shared this story before, but I, I'll tell you it again. When I was 16, I grew up in church, right? Believed in God, believed in Jesus. But when I was 16, I was at a conference, and in the worship, I felt to kneel, which I'd never done before. But I knelt, and I started crying. I'm like, why am I crying? I lifted my hands, and I just worshipped. And at the time, I couldn't have told you what was happening, but now I look back and I say, what happened was God met me in my spirit and he said, you know I'm real and you believe in Jesus. That's not the issue. But do you want me for yourself? See, I know you believe the inheritance you've been given from your parents. I know you believe what they believe. I know you go to church and I know you think it's a good thing, but do you want me for yourself? And with my spirit, I said, yes, I want you. There was another moment when I, was, uh, when I was going to Bible college, I lived with my auntie and uncle, faithful, incredible Christian people. And I remember a moment in their lounge room where I was talking to my auntie and I was dealing with some feelings of shame and, and just not knowing what to do with the situation and the way I'd acted and feeling shame around that. And I was talking to her about it and she ministered to me 
the love of God in the way I'd never experienced it before. I felt, as she prayed for me, love come into my soul and wash away every feeling of guilt and shame that I felt around that situation. I encountered God in a lounge room of my auntie, and it changed the way I look at myself and at God. Encounters, incredible. I remember another time when I was in church listening to a communion message, and uh, I was just sitting there chatting to my mate for a second. A, a lady got up to do communion, and I was just pondering a few things, and I heard the Lord speak to my spirit, son, you know I accept you, hey. And I'd always know God had accepted me. I knew about grace and about love, but he said, son, you know I accept you. And I started crying in church. My mate said, dude, you all right? I said, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm good. But I was crying. Why? Because I had an encounter with God sitting in a seat just like you. I encountered God in a way that changed the way I looked at him and myself. I understood acceptance from the Lord in a way I never had before. I was 19. I remember one more moment a couple of years ago. It was New Year's Eve, and I went into our spare room, and I was feeling emotions so strongly that I'd never felt in my life. I felt like I was a disappointment. I felt like I was failing. I felt angry. I felt lonely. I felt sad. That's not, if you know me, that's generally not feelings I feel. But I went into this room to meet with the Lord and I said, Lord, I feel like I've disappointed you and the people around me. Pretty much I feel like a massive disappointment to everyone. I have no idea what to do. I can't, do, I can't stop these feelings. I just don't know what to do. But I know I need you. And I felt in that moment, I was on the floor crying my eyes out with my head between my hands. And I felt, it, it would, it's like I saw it, but I didn't see it. But it's like the Lord replicated in front of me my position. He knelt down, put his hands on my head and he said, Son, you're not a disappointment. You're my son and I love you. And I wept for another 10 minutes, but in a different weeping. In fact, I had to take my shirt off, blow my eyes and throw that shirt away. I snotted so much. It was one of those moments, you know. If you didn't have a hanky, you'd use anything because it's dripping like it's bad. I cried. But see, an encounter, they're absolutely necessary because otherwise truth just remains a good idea. But on the other hand, if you quickly look back over these situations, yeah, I had an encounter when I was 16 and said, I want you. But then I started to read my Bible. I started to talk to my parents. I kept going to different conferences, putting myself in places where God could take that revelation and that decision and grow it. I committed myself to understanding what I'd just done. If you look at when I was 19 and God said, you know, I accept you, I started seeing scripture in a different way. I looked at scripture, saw grace. That's about acceptance. I saw love. That's about acceptance. See, I started to steward my moment. I started to steward my moment. When I felt that love come into my heart, God was confirming what he'd already been showing me in scripture and I kept going away and studying it and reading and I stewarded that moment. In that moment of disappointment, I didn't just say that, oh, that's nice, I'm going to stay disappointed, but God loves me, yeah. I didn't say, I said, well, actually, I have a renewed hope that I don't have to stay here and I began to talk to people that I needed to talk to. I began to ask questions I needed to ask. I began to Press in even further. I stewarded the moment with my commitments. But don't just trust me. I'm not sharing these to say, look at me, I'm wonderful. Because we we've all had moments with God in ways we've stewarded different things. It's purely to demonstrate the fact that God's not on the pendulum. It's not at either or. It's and also. And also. But don't just trust my experience. Let's quickly look at a couple of scripture and a few characters, I think that might be a good idea. And just see what it has to say. Go to Matthew 25, verse 20. 
I'll just read it quickly. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides me, besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant, and you were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of, of your Lord. He also who had received two talents, excuse me, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more. Two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many more things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. It's interesting to me that the way God defines faithfulness is taking what he gives you and making it bigger. Often we define faithfulness as just sticking around. Well, I've stuck around for 20 years. Stick around for 20 more. I'm faithful. But if you actually think about God, he doesn't define faithfulness that way. He says, what did you do with the seeds I gave you? See, God's not looking for us to come to him and say, Lord, I have these bunch of memories of the times I encountered you. Weren't they great? I just remember. I didn't do anything with them, but gee, they were a good time. I don't think God's looking for that. And I don't think God's looking for someone to come, Lord, I know you tried to encounter me, but I was too busy being disciplined and committed to reading my Bible and doing all the right things to prove I'm a good person. Aren't I great? Somehow I don't think God's interested in that either. But if you were to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I may not have got it perfect, but whenever you encountered me, I did whatever I could to steward that moment so the fruit of that moment would last for eternity, I think then he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with what I gave you. See, we see sometimes encounters as moments of feeling good. God sees them as seeds of eternity. It says, here's a seed into your life of who I am. Here's a seed into your life of the truth that I carry. And I want you to steward it. I want you to co-labor with me to see the fruit of that seed bless you, your family, and your community. Encounters are seeds entrusted to us to steward so we can see the fruit of them later on. And sometimes we get frustrated because we want to relive a moment from yesteryear. But God's saying, I want you to take that moment, steward it more, and see more fruit come from the encounter I gave you before. Stewarding moments. God's not on the pendulum. He's into both. He's into both. So if, if you look at the Apostle Paul, I find Paul a fascinating character. He's a passionate man. But if you look at Romans 1, he says this, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Verse six, uh, verse 5, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you are also called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, whatever that name is, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints with all who are in every place called on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Second Corinthians chapter 1. 
Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God our Father who raised him from the dead, to all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more, go to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You look at, it goes on and on. You look at the letters Paul wrote, and some would say that's just how he greeted people. But why that greeting? Why did Paul, out of everything he chose, choose to say, by the will of God, through Jesus Christ, because of grace, you have peace, pretty much. Every time he talked to somebody, he said, by the will of God, through Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, and with peace. He just had a few things that he'd say every single time. And from that place, if you look at Ephesians, he spent three chapters talking about the grace of God through Jesus Christ and the will of God for us. Paul took a few revelations and stewarded them in a way that caused them to become the foundation of everything he said to every church that became canonized scripture that we build our church on now. Paul took, see, we marvel at his... And I marvel at his encounter and his moment. I think is an incredible thing, a changing point in his life where God met him on the road, blinded him and said, you're, you're hurting me, I want you to stop, and converted him. And Paul went away and he thought about that encounter and he looked more into what it was teaching him, asked more about Jesus. And from that one encounter and what he pondered, he just had a few things that he stewarded well. And became the mighty apostle who we look to these days, for the, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, that we consider the Word of God. When you steward moments well, they can become a foundation for future generations, thousands of years ahead of you. When we steward moments. Paul said in Philippians 3, he said, I've considered what I had before. And if anyone had a good run sheet, like a good, what's the word for it? Resume. Well, looking good according to their own works and their own uh, background, it was Paul. He said, I've considered all that. I've taken a moment, thought about it, and you know what? I consider that rubbish because I've also considered Jesus. And when I consider Jesus, everything else pales in comparison to Jesus. Jesus took, uh, Paul took his revelation of Jesus and stewarded it in a way that saw the church flourish. God's not on a pendulum. He's into stewarding moments. He's into both. We'll rewind a bit further and have a, have a look at David really quickly. We often know of uh, stories about David, and he's a great man. But David had a moment with a prophet where Samuel came and he said, I've anointed you king. Fourteen years later, David took the position that was given to him then. But what did he do with that moment? He didn't go, I've been anointed king. We need to kill Saul so I can get what's rightfully mine. He went... God's given me a moment with a prophet. He's anointed me for a specific thing. What I'm going to do is let him develop my character 
my wisdom and my integrity. I'm going to live in integrity and wisdom. And when God's timing is ready, he'll promote me to the position. But before I have the permission, I will steward the moment of anointing. I will build the character that is able to carry the anointing that he's put on me. David didn't just wait to get the position. He stewarded a moment. And we learn things. And David is the line through whom we get Jesus Christ. Why? Because he stewarded a moment. God's not on a pendulum. He's into both. We're talking about, uh, to the youth on Friday about uh, becoming great. And we talked about the, the key thought for this month is greatness is found in the face of change. And the way we handle change um, determines the greatness that can come through our lives. And we looked at Joseph. And Joseph, as we know, was a dreamer. And he had a dream from God where God said, you're going to have your brothers bow down to you. You're going to have your parents bow down to you. And Joseph made a mistake. He then went to the people he thought should bow to him and said, I've had a dream from God. I've had a moment with God. I've had an encounter. And he says that you will bow down to me. And they hated him for it. In fact, he nearly got killed for it. Why? Because Joseph took his moment and said, now everybody else is responsible for making sure my moment happens to me. God has told me this, therefore you're responsible for making sure you agree with God because he told me when I encountered him. And people hated him for it. But see, I don't think encounters with God are so we can compare ourselves to everybody else. I don't think God gives us encounters and revelations so we can look at everybody else and judge them according to our moment and what we know. I don't get revelations so I can look at you and go, if I knew the church, knew what I knew. Like that's arrogance. God gives us moments, and with that seed, he says, now I'm going to invite you to grow. See, a moment or an encounter with God, a seed from heaven, is always an invitation to grow bigger, to become better, to grow your character and your integrity. God gives us moments, and I want to clarify, I love the presence of God. I love encounters, and I could, you know when you have those encounters, and you're like, I want to be here forever. So I get it. I'm not putting down moments and encounters with God. I absolutely love them and think they're essential in the Christian life. But I want to make sure I take the moments, those precious things that God gives to me, and I want to steward them so they become fruit in my life. I want to commit myself to a process to see the fruit of that seed come out. Other people aren't responsible for making sure my moments become bigger. My moments invite me to grow. Moments. Look at one more person, really quick. Abraham. Abraham was an incredible man. In fact, I, I love reading the story of him. I've learned a lot from looking at him. But if you look at Genesis 12, 1 to 4, he had a moment where God said, those who curse you, I'll curse. Those who bless you, I'll bless. I'm going to bless you, make you a great nation. He gave him this promise. And he says, but I want you to leave your family and your homeland. I want you to go. And then it said this. So Abraham prepared himself and he went. Moment of calling, moment of promise, action of stewardship. He took his moment and he stewarded it. Later on, uh, God said, I want to do this. This is the covenant I'm going to make with you. I want you to get some sacrifices. We're going to cut covenant right now. And Abraham straight away made the preparations. He said he believed God and God accounted accounted it to him all righteousness. And that's the very foundational belief that we build our redemption on today. See, Abraham's ability to steward his moments created a nation, enabled a a nation to be born. And from that nation came a man called Jesus. And in that man called Jesus, we find our redemption. 
And in that redemption, we build the church. We are currently the fruit of Abraham's stewardship of a moment of promise he had with God. Seeds of eternity invite you to grow. And as you steward those seeds, you set up a platform for the kingdom to come to earth as it is in heaven. God gives seed so we can co-labor with him by his Holy Spirit and see the seeds grow into an incredible, incredible kingdom. Moments and stewardship. So it's all well and good. I've exhausted the point. We've got to steward our moments and encounters are absolutely necessary. In fact, thinking about it just makes you feel good. When you think about that moment I had with God, your soul just rejoices because that's life. That's like breath to my soul. But I find equal joy in taking that moment saying, Lord, how do I steward this now to see it come to fruition, not just in my life, but the people around me? How do I do it? There are many ways we could look at a bunch of different ways we can steward moments, but I just want to make a few, three very um, quick, easy points as to how do you steward a moment. Very simply, number one, you receive the revelation. Number two, you submit to the truth. And number three, you commit to the process. You receive the revelation. I talked a number of weeks ago about when you believe in your heart. And the whole concept is at the core of who you are, the core of your spiritual and physical being, you are persuaded to believe something. When God encounters you with a moment, shows you who he is, does something incredible, what he's doing is saying, this is who I am. Will you receive the revelation of my character? And in our hearts, we can then say no, or we can say yes, I receive the revelation. That's the first step. Simply that, will I receive the truth that God's trying to speak to me? Number two, submit to the truth. And what I mean by that is a few things, but the key things are, the truth is, okay, God's shown me this revelation of what I could be, where I could go, the calling he's put on my life. But the truth is, where am I at right now? What do I need to learn? What do I need to change? Remember, seeds invite you first to grow. And if we don't ask ourselves, that's great, that's the calling he's put on my life, but where am I right now? What do I need to learn? What do I need to change? When we ask those questions, prepare yourself to have things brought to the surface that you don't like and that don't feel good. Because sometimes growth is not fun. It's painful, but it's necessary. As the Bible says, when gold's refined, all the stuff comes to the surface so God can scoop it off. But receive the revelation, submit to the truth of where you are right now. What do I need to learn? What do I need to change to get where God's taking me? And number three, then commit to the process. That's where perseverance and patience and prayer and power come into massive play. Because if I ask myself, where am I at? Where do I need to go? All that kind of gear. But then I don't go, now, Lord, I'm going to come to you in prayer. I'm going to ask you to keep transforming me, keep molding me, keep showing, put people around me who can show me what I need to know. know. If I don't, then go, Holy Spirit, there's no way I can change any of this without your power. I need your power in my life. I need you to do what only you can do because you're the one who can change my heart, change me. And if I don't persevere, see, if I've made a decision of where I'm going, it enables me to persevere. But if I don't persevere and if I'm not patient, we can sometimes dig up the seed that God planted and we miss out on the harvest and we've got to start all over. So receive the revelation, submit to the truth, and commit to the process. The crazy thing about moments is that sometimes God can show up almost right in front of you and say this is who I am this is the truth 
And we can go, nah, don't think so. That's the crazy thing about free will. If you look at the rich man who came to Jesus in Luke 18, and you don't have to turn there, but he came to Jesus and he said, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So you think about it. Think about this for an encounter, right? You come to God himself in the flesh and you say, hey, Jesus, hey, God, tell me the secret of heaven about eternal life. One of the most important things in all of history. Tell me how to get that. And God himself says, it's very simple. This is what you've got to do. This is how you inherit eternal life, eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. And the Bible says the rich man was very sad because he had many possessions. Mark 4, it talks about the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the seed. Can I encourage you, church, as God, if God has in the past encountered you in a way, reflect on those encounters and say, Lord, is there a way I can steward that more to see an, an inheritance and an abundance of fruit today come? Or if you have encounters in the future, don't let anything stop you from receiving the reward of stewarding a moment. Don't let it be stolen. And you might say, well, that's, that's, that's great, you know, stewarding moments with God, fantastic, you know, fair enough, great, we can do that. But what if you haven't encountered God? What if you've encountered a problem? What if you've encountered something negative? What if I haven't encountered God, all I've done all my life is encountered problems, or at the moment I don't feel like God's around me, I've just encountered a heap of problems. What do I do then? It's interesting in Scripture, there's one of those moments too. If you look at Jesus walking through Jerusalem and blind Bartimaeus, we all know the story, says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's told to shut up and he yells even louder. And Jesus says, bring him to me. This dude has a problem. He's homeless, broke, no food, and at this point, no clothes, pretty much. Just has his undergarments on. And he comes to Jesus. And Jesus asks this weird question. He's looking at this guy, practically naked, not looking him in the eye. He's obviously blind, dirty, stinks, has no home. And Jesus says, what do you want? It's like, Jesus. Imagine being a disciple. Jesus, you want to look again? You have a nap for a second? Like, have a look. It's pretty obvious what the dude needs. But Jesus has this guy in absolute need. But he says to him, he doesn't say, what's your need? He says to him, what do you want? This guy had encountered a problem. And in the face of Jesus, Jesus says, what do you want? See, a lot of the time when we encounter problems, we use all of our energy trying to defeat the problem. Trying to go, if only I can have other people meet the need I have right now, then I can move forward. If only other people would see that I'm just in so much need. And don't get me wrong, need is real. And I believe in people helping people in need. I'm all for that. But if all we look at is the problems we encounter every day, because we're going to have troubles every day and we encounter problems. But if all we look at is the problem... We never get any momentum into the direction we want to go. We're constantly putting out fires. But if in the face of a problem you take it to Jesus, I believe he'd say, well, what do you actually want? And then when we own what we want, he can say, right, now let me give you a revelation on what you want. And then submit to the truth that I show you. And then commit to the process. When you encounter a problem... God will ask you, well, what do you actually want? I know you've got a problem and I have compassion for that, but what is it that you want outside of the problem? You might come to God and say, yeah, well, God, that's all well and good, but my marriage is falling to pieces. And God might say, I understand that and I know that hurts and I'm here for you. What do you want? Well, I, I, want, I want a fantastic marriage. I want it to reconcile. I want you know, life to come back. You know, I want to 
chase my spouse around the house because I just can't get enough. Like, I want, get real with him. What do you actually want? He goes, all right, great. Now you know what you want. Now go and find somebody or go to my word or go resource yourself and find out a revelation, get a revelation showing you of my will for that area of your life. And you'll find that if you want life to come into a situation, God agrees. You want a great marriage? God wants that too. But then we've got to receive a revelation. And we've got to ask the question, where am I right now? And then we've got to commit to the process. And it might not be marriage, it might be something completely different, but you get the point. If you encounter a problem, what do you want? And when you bring it to the Lord and you get honest about what you really, really want, then he goes, all right, well, let's look for a revelation or a truth about that area of your life. And then once you get the revelation, receive that revelation into your heart. Let me put hope into you about what you want. And then once you've received that revelation, let's submit to the truth about where you're at right now and where you want to go. And then commit yourself to the process. God's not on pendulums. He's into both. Let me pray. Father, thank you for encounters. I thank you that without the presence of God in our life, without you giving us moment after moment of showing us just how real you are, everything becomes kind of pointless, but because of your presence and because of the reality and your ability to show yourself to us, life is infused into our souls. And I thank you that as we take those moments and we put them into a process of causing seeds to become a harvest, that we can see great things happen in our lives, the lives of our families, the lives of our community. Father, I thank you for the way the history of this church, the way people have taken seeds or commands from you and they have stewarded them faithfully and made them bigger. I thank you that because of people's hearts to do that, that's the only reason there's a platform for me to stand here today and say what I've said. I thank you for the stewardship that is in this house. And I pray for every situation, whether people are feeling whole and successful or broken and like failures, that you give them a seed of heaven, a seed of hope, and that as we co-labor with you with the seeds of truth you give us, we'd see the kingdom come and your will be done here on earth, this part of the earth, as it is in heaven. We thank you, we honor you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.